Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Stride Power Podcast. As always, my name is Evan. Today, I am joined by Lori Lee Lone. How are you doing today? I'm great today. Awesome. Thank you so much for making the time. I am so excited to talk to you about your success story because I stumbled upon this um, on Instagram, our, our social media, you know, we get a lot of, uh, you know, success stories every weekend with people uh, running fantastic races and workouts, but yours in particular stood out to me. Um, and I would like to start off this episode by asking you to tell us what your stride success story was. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, I've been running for a couple of years, and I just recently ran my second half marathon after a two-year hiatus, um, thank you to the pandemic. And I was able to um, not only cut 16 minutes off my time, which was a great PR, but also won my age group and actually finished uh, 28th overall as well. So a huge success story for me. That's absolutely amazing. Um, we're going to talk more about the training, and then actual race day. But to start things off, you have a lot of experience in the endurance world outside of just running. Can you tell us maybe a little bit more about your background, what you do, and kind of your relation to endurance sports? Sure. I uh, My secret is out, I guess, but I've been riding a bike for uh, about 25 years now, and I've actually been coaching cycling for 21 years and have raced pretty much every discipline of bike racing except uh, BMX and downhill mountain bike, but everything else, you name it. And in the last, oh, handful of years, I've really gotten into endurance and ultra endurance, which in the cycling world, typically ultra endurance is everything over about 200 kilometers. Um, but where I found myself suddenly was in the 500 world. So mm -hmm. 500 mile road races, both as a solo and as a team, um, two person team, and at one point a two tandem team. So very different style of racing where you um, can go moderately hard for ridiculously long periods of time. And uh, it found as I aged up that road racing really wasn't as pertinent to me anymore. I just didn't feel like um, at 56 years old, I wanted to compete with the 20 year olds and the 19 year olds. And in women's road racing in particular, there aren't age groups except at the state and national level. Mm -hmm. So moving into ultra endurance seemed to make a little more sense at that point. Mm -hmm. And you said you've been, you know, in cycling for, for so, so long <laughs> and you have been coaching as well. And the concept um, that maybe some triathletes and cyclists are already familiar with is using power in their specific activity. But for running, uh, you know, stride still relatively new, um, you know, coming onto the scene over the past few years and really trying to incorporate uh, running power. That's a little bit more new for runners to sort of comprehend. Can you talk about maybe your first experience and your familiarity with stride and running power and maybe why you decided to uh, start incorporating that in your own running? Sure. I, uh, well, I'll back up into cycling for a moment. I was an early adopter of onboard power for cycling. I had a coach back in 2003 who required me to get a power meter, which at the time was pretty cost prohibitive for most mm -hmm. folks. What, what, days, how much would those cost like back in uh, 2003? It was about 
about $1,800, if I recall. It was a power tap. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and in 2003, that actually would buy you a pretty decent bike as well. So it was yeah. a pretty expensive power meter. Um, these days, pretty much anybody who um, buys a bike computer can afford a power meter as well. And a lot of folks just have them as an onboard, very expensive bike computer. But right. in 2003, it was somewhat new. And um, matter of fact, nothing was wireless. My first power meter had cables running and it was a hub based power meter and it was pretty clunky and it was a heavy wheel. You didn't really want to race with it because it was a, you know, a box rim heavy wheel, but you had to race with it because you needed that power data. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyways, fast forward, I've been training with power all these years and all my bikes have power meters. And when I started running about two and a half years ago, um, my partner, who's a hardware engineer and was an early adapter of Stride, handed me this thing and he said, put it on your shoe. It's a power meter. And I'm like, what? How can you have a power meter on your shoe? There's no cables <laughs> coming from it either. I know. What is it reading? And um, he's a hardware engineer, so he's pretty smart about these things. And so I just, for the first, gosh, year and a half or so, I just collected data. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, I never did a CP test. I never... Um, really trained with power. I knew based on perceived exertion, kind of what was hard, what was easy, but I didn't really have a sense of um, training with power. And the, the first training plan that I downloaded, everything was based on pace, mm -hmm. as most of the running world is. And that was a surprise to me. And um, I would, then I started converting that training plan into power zones, even though, again, I hadn't done a CP test, but mm -hmm. It had auto-calculated my CP, and I felt like it was pretty accurate. And fast forward to six months ago, and I decided I needed to train with intention. Racing was back. And so I um, purchased a stride plan for a half marathon and started working with that. And then took my own coaching knowledge and enhanced that in a bit, maybe um, not in the smartest way possible. But... <laughs> but um, came out with pretty good fitness. And mm -hmm. I was surprised this fall when racing started again, every race that I had registered for stride would give me a race prediction. And I was like, I can't run that fast. That's nuts. And then I would run and I would run that fast. And so <laughs> it was a, a very, I don't know if the stride made me faster, or if it just made me believe that I could run faster um, because it was collecting data and it mm -hmm. knew, it knew more than I did. Yeah. And so, and then once I started training in those zones, it was very easy to understand that, yeah, I can train this fast. I can believe this data. Mm -hmm. What was your first reaction? So you mentioned when fall racing kicked off at the end of, uh, you know, 2021 into the beginning of 2022, and you started going to the start lines of races again, yeah. and then making your way through the finish lines. Um it, it, it is interesting, too, because there are so many people that are in this boat of, you know, putting in some of the work over the past few years and not really having those start lines to be able to show up to, maybe doing some time trials or evaluating their fitness in, in different ways. What was your thought process of maybe, you know, signing up for a race, getting through the finish line, reflecting on that data, and then finding the next uh, thing to sign up for? What was kind of your approach now that it was totally viable to get back into, you know, the racing seasons and racing shape and using um, that data that you might not have had before um, on the run to kind of bolster your confidence that you could hit uh, another target going forward. 
Right. Um, well, I was surprised. The first race I registered for this fall was a 10 mile kind of hilly road race hmm. um, that goes over the Golden Gate Bridge. And so I, I set my paces in my, um, on my watch. And I was surprised that I could sustain those. And what it made me, well, and I got second place, which also was a surprise because I'd never, I'd done three races prior to that back mm -hmm. in 2019 and 2020. And um, the first race I ran was a complete disaster. It was a 5K. And I did exactly what I told myself I wouldn't do, which is I went too hard and blew up and ended up walking half of it, which was mm -hmm. a, a comical now when I think about it. Um, it was probably the slowest 5k I've ever done in my life. I, it's slower than anything I'd done in training. So that mm -hmm. was disappointing. And I learned a big lesson, right? You gotta be disciplined at the start. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Start your race and, right. and hold the pace that you know you can sustain. Mm -hmm. Even if it feels good for that first minute or two, you can't go that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so then my second race in 2020, I, I ran as well. Again, utilizing power, but it was an interesting course too, in that it was a 5K downhill, 5K out and back flat, and then a 5K uphill. Mm. And didn't really trust the numbers. I didn't go hard enough when I should have. Mm -hmm. um, and so that again, but I did learn not to go too hard at the beginning. So that was a good thing. And then I had run my first half marathon. And I think when I returned to running, this fall. And I really decided to focus on it. I'd come off a pretty solid season of gravel racing, um, really long endurance. I had a big base and a really good engine. And um, so I started uh, training for this 10K race. And I was like, oh, at first I felt I was really slow because I hadn't run in a few months. And then um, the speed picked up. And so again, it surprised me. But what I realized after I did that first race is what I had missed from the bike racing world was being competitive mm -hmm. and that that was what was driving me as a runner was the opportunity to compete. Mm -hmm. And so over that year and a half of the pandemic, when nothing was happening, virtual races do not inspire me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, race against technology that is faulty, <laughs> truthfully. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Everybody with a watch or you can manually input. And I was like, this isn't racing. Racing is towing the line to me right. and that spirit and that motivation of the people around you and chasing down, um, you know, the, the carrot in front of you. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, what I've realized is for me right now, running is a competitive outlet because there is not that outlet for me in bike racing. Either there are no master's fields or they're so small that you're competing against just a couple of people. So, right. You mentioned you signed up for stride training plan and yeah. then you, uh, went through that. What was your sort of experience, uh, starting to incorporate a running power plan and maybe how did it differ versus your like initial expectations? And what do you feel like you learned along the way you said before you had, you know, maybe had a plan where you converted, um, some yeah. things into power zones and stuff, but what was your experience kind of adopting a running power based training plan? And what did you feel like after you got to the end of that, uh, training plan and where you wanted to go next from that? Yeah. Um, I, what I learned is I'm very compliant and not everyone is. And I will say, I always had a really hard time running easy as mm -hmm. a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And so I did what most people also do on the bike, which is we go moderately hard. We don't ever go really, really hard and we don't go really easy. Sure. And I always found easy 
difficult. I couldn't sustain an easy pace. But what I learned was as soon as I hear the um, prompts in my ear Mm -hmm. for my pace zones, if I'm going too fast or if I'm going too slow, I really don't like hearing that I'm going too slow. Mm. Um, the sad trombone sound that comes <laughs> sure. out of my earbuds. And so that's a motivator to me. But I also learned that I could motivate myself to run slower. Mm. And just because, again, I didn't want to hear that tone. I didn't want to, to feel that I was overpaced on my right. slow paces. So it somehow slowed me down, which was good. And in slowing down, it allowed me to run harder when I needed to run harder. And I think mm. that's a key component in endurance sports that most people miss. Sure. And I know for me, I people complain about speed work. I'd rather go out and do speed work every day of the week <laughs> than easy runs. Totally. Um, so that was a big lesson for me was learning how to go slow. And I think the second one was that I could run a lot more volume than I ever thought I could. I always Mm. assumed that, you know, I have some biomechanical issues. I've had hip surgery on one side. I have another hip that I chose not to have surgery on yet um, that has some issues. And so I always thought, oh, at my age, I can only run three or four days a week. Mm. And I also thought with 25 years of endurance, I don't really need to do aerobic endurance training. And I realized that that was a fallacy that I've been telling myself that each year we need to rebuild that engine and stoke that engine. And, um, and, and maybe throughout the year, we need to stoke that engine that if we're only doing the hard stuff or the moderately hard stuff, we're again, doing that disservice that doesn't allow us to really get faster and improve. Totally. Totally. And that's a thing I think a lot of people, can identify with. I know, um, you know, when I first started running at a young age, it was every single run, uh, you know, just run as hard as you can. Or, you know, when you go out the door, say this has to be like an up-tempo effort until you get on a structured training plan. And the days that are like recovery days or even off days or very easy days are just as important as the fun speed work and the exhilarating, mm-hmm. um, you know, high intensity and stuff like that. But then when it comes to, to race day, the bigger base um, you build and the more compliant you are with that sort of training plan, uh, you kind of reap, reap those rewards on, on race day when you cross the finish line. Um, I know you said earlier you, you coach people and you just talked about following a training plan. Have you pursued, um, you know, running coaching or working with any running coaches on your way to other races after you finished your training plan from stride? I have actually. So I, um, at the beginning of 2020, before we knew everything was shutting down or no, was it 2021? I don't even remember anymore. It was 2021. Mm -hmm. I worked with an RRCA coach, someone who I knew through a running group. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's when it first dawned on me that RRCA and running coaching in general does not embrace this tool. Mm-hmm. And most of them don't even know about it, which I find to be just appalling, quite frankly, that there's this technology here. I mean, there are still running coaches who suggest that you run based on heart rate, which is just amazing to me. And pace isn't much better unless you're mm-hmm. running on a flat road with no wind and no right. change in terrain. Right. So the fact that this technology is available and it is inexpensive and it is accessible um it's amazing to me that more people don't utilize it and so Mm -hmm. i started working with a coach and she was a relatively new coach but i thought i'll give her a chance she seems um like a nice person and she's a very good cheerleader 
absolutely. And I think there's a market for that type of coaching. Um, obviously, there are lots of, you know, moms run this town and mm-hmm. mother runner and that kind of group. But it definitely wasn't the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I conveniently had an, a, a little injury that kept me from running for a bit. So we ended that relationship. And then I started again on my own. And then as I have continued to um, be a fangirl of Stride and also Steve Palladino, the Palladino Power Project, I decided it was time I needed a coach. I needed someone to keep me from making mistakes, Mm -hmm. um, to keep me from running too hard or getting injured or not making the right choices because I'm, I'm not as unbiased about myself as I'd like to be. As no one is, that's not a huge fault. And that's not a surprise. So I had, um, as I said, I've been following along on Stride and, and on the Facebook group, the Paladino Power Project. And one day I was on the Stride website and looking through the directory of coaches and a handful of people who I know. Um, and I thought, why not reach out to Steve? Mm-hmm. He's somewhat local to me. And he has a background that was very interesting to me as not only a pretty elite level runner, but also an amateur bike racer as a master. And um, so I did. And I sent him an email and I said, hey, you know, I know you're, you're very limited in who you coach, but I'm a master's athlete with 25 years of endurance experience, new to running. And I seem to be well suited to running. I was finishing, you know, podiuming everything I ran this past fall. And uh, he said, oh, I'm interested. And then I didn't hear back from him. <laughs> And I thought, oh, yeah, he's that interested. <laughs> so then I pinged him again. And I was I was two weeks out for my race at this point. And I mm-hmm. said, I, you know, if you're interested, I really could use some help with my taper. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I do the right thing going into this race. I've put in five months of work with this one goal of winning this race. Mm-hmm. And so then he onboarded. And, uh, and it, he is delightful to work with. So I've been working with him for the past month. And he is even though he is such an analytical numbers-based person, he's also a very um, intuitive and human person as well, which I really like. And he has an injury in his story. And I think he's very, very perceptive to injury too. He, mm. He's like any niggle, any discomfort. I want you to tell me that's the most important thing we need to know. Right. So, and he's not a cheerleader. I guess he is in his own way. You know, I do my <laughs> workouts and I'm a hundred percent compliant. He'll always you know, leave me a note that says excellent execution or that kind of thing. And I'm like, right. yeah, that's his, that's his attaboy. <laughs> so, and I know from being a coach myself that that relationship with your coach is super important. Finding mm-hmm. someone who can relate to you on your terms and who you're compatible with. You just feel um, comfortable with in their decision-making in trusting them. And that's, I'm often saying to him, I'm asking him questions all the time because again, because my background in power coaching on the bike, I have lots of questions and, but I'm honest with him. I'm like, I defer to you. I hired you for a reason. You know, your shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know mm-hmm. what you're doing and I'm going to defer to that. So thank you for being the voice of reason. Yeah. Which is I, good. I um, have, I guess, just like a quick question there too. There's a very big difference, kind of like you highlighted, um, about following a training plan and working with a coach. Because a coach can be a cheerleader uh, in in their own unique way, um, but there is some intuition and there's some uh, deeper level analysis. And we do have a great uh, directory, like you mentioned, of coaches Mm -hmm. on our our website. I think it's close to, to 500 
um, people know. And then you also have a ton of experience uh, working with other endurance athletes in the past. If people are hesitant or there's, there's some, somebody who's listening, who's thought about, um, you know, getting a coach, but is really held off because they feel like maybe they're not in the right uh, fitness right now, or they don't think they're good enough or worthy of having coaches. Is there any um, sort of advice you could give to somebody who might be on the fence of reaching out to a coach and why it just might be a good idea to try and, and see if that setup works for them? Absolutely. Um, we are not as smart as we think we are and we're not unbiased. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to something like power, finding someone who really understands, I don't even really understand all the numbers in running because running is such a different sport. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is it is an investment just like your race shoes. And I was shocked when I started running at how inexpensive running coaches are mm -hmm. compared to cycling coaches. And the fact that I can hire someone on a quarterly basis that costs less than a pair of running shoes <laughs> or racing shoes. Right. I, it's amazing to me. I'm like, what? why aren't you charging more for what mm -hmm. you do? Mm -hmm. um, because cycling coaches are pretty expensive, but running coaches are not. And so when you look at the fact that, I, and I guess it depends on what your goal is, but if your goal is just to run and have fun, that's great and be social. And when you work with a coach, oftentimes it's hard to incorporate group runs. It's hard to, so you have to be motivated to go out on your own and do it. Right. And to be compliant with a program because in the power world, every day that you do something, it changes what you're going to do in the next day, the next mm -hmm. week, the next month. Mm -hmm. So you have, you can't just say, Oh, I was busy this week. That doesn't work. Right. But uh, let me go back to your original question, which is why should someone work with a coach? Mm -hmm. um, having that unbiased set of eyes that can see you in a way that you don't see yourself is really important. Mm -hmm. And that goes both for the athlete who overestimates their ability and also the athlete who underestimates their ability. Totally. Um, one of the one of the first things that happened when I started working with Steve, I told him, you know, I feel I have a real struggle doing my easy runs. And he looked at all my data and he said, would you do a CP test? We're 10 days out from my race at this point. And I'd never done one. And it sounded daunting because, you know, doing an <laughs> FTP test on the bike is awful. Sure. And I actually found the CP test really fun. We did a 310. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's an hour and a half of activity there, but you're only going hard for 13 minutes. Right. And and he said, I just have a hunch that you've been under training your zones, mm. in which we did. We tested and I had been training at a, I think my CP at that point was 235. Mm -hmm. And after testing, we went up to 250. So we mm. were a pretty significant difference there. Mm -hmm. And um, which means I could have left some fitness on the table, unfortunately, but that's okay. Right. It's a, an ongoing story. It wasn't a one and done. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even having someone intuitive who can just look at the numbers and say, hey, there's something that doesn't make sense here. Right. And, that, that other and set also, of eyes to be able to chime in and say, hey, you know, they're either echoing what you're thinking or giving you a point of view that you might not have even considered. And that ends up paying off by, you know, raising the expectations that you might have for, for future right. training cycle or bring it more into bounds of reality of what you should actually be doing. Well, and it definitely affected my race outcome because mm -hmm. if I had raced at the zones that Stride had said I should race at based on the data it had collected, I would have under raced. 
-hmm. I would not have, you know, I probably still would have broken two hours, but you know, I hit 154, Mm -hmm. 38 to be precise. (laughs) And, and that was a pretty big deal. So, um, and again, I looked at those numbers and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, but then I realized, yes, you can, you can do this. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think is, and this is what people don't realize when you work with a coach, it's a, a relationship based on communication. Mm -hmm. And the more that I communicate with my coach, the more they're going to be able to help me. And if I don't share the feedback after my workouts, if I don't tell my, you know, if I'm always just trying to be compliant and a pleaser, then I'm never going to improve to the full potential. I have to be able to communicate. And that's the biggest thing. A training plan that you buy online is not going to communicate that with you. Right, right. It's not going to be dynamic. It's not going to change as you go. It's, it's there and it's static and it's a really good way to get started, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, absolutely. Um, you mentioned your race day. Can you tell us? Yeah. So, so you mentioned you started uh, working with Steve about two weeks out doing a three minute, <laughs> 10 minute CP test to get everything <laughs> nice in line 10 days out. And then the rest of the taper and race day. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about that before the... 154.38 to be precise. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so the first thing that surprised me about the taper that um, Steve had written for me was that he had me running every day. Mm. And it, until December, I had never run every day in mm. a week. I went, I, it was a fluke. We went to Maui for vacation. And what do you do when you go on vacation? You exercise every day. So sure, you can eat. Sure. And so I ran every morning and I was like, oh, I can run every day. I didn't know this. And when I had written my own taper for my other races, I had reduced my volume and kept my intensity high, but I didn't have any easy runs in there. And Steve had me on easy runs and, um, And I was surprised by that. Now, the one surprise that we got is when I did my CP test, I went Mm -hmm. to a track, which I don't usually do. It was my Mm -hmm. second time ever on the track. And it happened to be a track that had a pretty significant slope into the infield. So sloping down on the left. And I happened to have a biomechanical um, difference, which is Mm -hmm. my left leg is a bit shorter than my right anyway. So it, it, (laughs) it, and to make things even more exciting, I had bought race shoes and I was, tr- I was racing in those for the very first time. So things that you probably never should do, I did. Mm-hmm. And, and I ended up sore after that workout. I was surprised. I mm-hmm. never really end up sore after I run. And he's like, and I knew it was Dom's, except I had some soreness in my left quad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would my left quad? And I kept saying, oh, it's just the slope right? It was the slope. So um, it kind of prevailed through the race. And at one point, I even said to Steve, hey, would you mind if I take these easy runs off? Because I'm a little worried about whatever is going on here. I can't figure it out. I couldn't figure out. I thought it was a hip flexor. Mm -hmm. I didn't have discomfort when I was just standing or when I was walking, but running, I had this, this feeling of weakness. And I thought, did I pull a muscle? So that was our little hitch. And he said, well, you can take one day off. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I actually went into the race wondering if I was going to be able to race. Mm. And, you know, as we know, exercise has this analgesic effect. And I think that helped because I didn't feel that pain during the mm-hmm. race itself. Um, it has unfortunately sustained a little bit. And we actually think it's a pinched nerve. I've been working mm. with my um, chiropractor who is a, he does a lot of gong shua and all that stuff. 
MAT and ART, and, and we're pretty sure it's not muscle at all. We think it's a little bit of a nerve impingement, either at the hip or the spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we took an easy week and then another easy week, and now I'm back to running. And, you know, it's still a little niggle, but, um, but anyways, back to the taper. So, yeah, it was good. And the one thing that was a little different is typically I will – um, do openers the day before a bike race. Mm-hmm. And Steve wasn't going to have me do anything the day before. And um, he did. He, get, he allowed me to do my openers. And then could I you, also do... Could a- you maybe define what an opener is for people that maybe aren't from the cycling world or what that ah. kind of definition translates to in the running world? Yeah. It is a short effort. And in our case... We did uh, about 20 minutes total, but there were some short, hard efforts within that period. So basically you're running a nice, easy warm up. You do a few, almost like strides and, and then you cool down and you're done. Awesome. Yeah. That is like that pre-race thing that just gets you settled and ready to feel good when you come up to that, that start line. Exactly. And it doesn't have a huge running stress score, Mm -hmm. um, just enough to keep you fresh. And I think there's probably as much of a mental component as anything else. But in my case, I flew down to San Diego. I live in San Jose. So I flew Mm -hmm. to San Diego. Flying is always stressful on our body as athletes and being in a hotel and all these things. And I was trying to, you know, just back off and lay in the hotel all day and Mm -hmm. do nothing and um, eat the right food before the race. But Mm -hmm. I really felt the need to do that. And the other thing for me is I also do a warm up before my races. And he's like, well, you really don't need it for a half marathon. And I was like, oh, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do, you know, both for my breathing and my, it warms my body up so I can stand at the start line in like no clothing. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just felt like I had to do something. And so again, he wrote me a nice, easy-ish warm up um, and gave me a very specific time at which to do it. And Mm -hmm. so it was good structure. And and I think that brings up another important point about having a coach is when you have a coach who's telling you what to do, you don't have to think about it and you don't have to question it. You just trust. Right. You got to trust your coach. And if yep. you find you're in a relationship where you're questioning everything your coach asks you to do, it's probably not the right relationship. Right. And then that's that communication thing that you were talking about just previously. Mm-hmm. And it's that uh, multi-channel um, back and forth stuff too. So you do your warm up. And you're standing yeah. on the start line. What is the goal that you had <laughs> standing on the start line? Because you mentioned you PR'd by 16 minutes, broke two yeah. hours, and you were coming into the race, maybe feeling with uh, you know a little bit shaken up or you know the, the the left leg soreness and stuff. But you get through the warm up. You're standing on the start line. What is the goal, and what's going through your head before? that start, um, you know, start siren goes off for the race? Yeah. Um, well, my goal was to win. Mm-hmm. When I had raced the race two years ago, I raced it in 210. And at that point, I had said, I'm going to come back and win this, which sounded like a great goal, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the pandemic happened, and then I couldn't race. So, mm-hmm. so my overall goal was to win. Mm-hmm. And then in my mind, I, w- I had a whole set of scenarios. And, and it was interesting because um, Steve gave me this matrix and he had said, based on these three running efficiencies and these three power outputs, here's your range of times. Mm-hmm. You're going to be between 154 and two hours. 
And I was like, well, heck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, something else that I think Steve knows about me already, even though I was brand new to him, is he knows that I overrun Mm -hmm. my power, Mm -hmm. meaning I'm always a little above. And we'd even talked about it, which is, when I, because I'm afraid of being a little below. Right. So when I For the sad there, trombone I, music. Exactly. That, that no yeah. sad trombone. And so I think he actually gave me a very conservative power goal. Mm-hmm. And he emphasized over and over again, he's like, don't go too hard. If you're feeling great in your last 5K, go. He's mm-hmm. like, I want you to feel really good in that last 5K. And I want you to feel like you can go, which I did. I killed it in my last 5K. It was amazing. Um, but so what was going through my mind? Don't panic. I have had a challenge in my both my bike racing and my run racing career of being at the start line and going too hard and not being able to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to, you know, I was diagnosed with exercise-induced asthma as a kid, and it's completely in control. Mm -hmm. I have not used an inhaler in years and years and years, but I think it's an anxiety response. Mm -hmm. I have a super low heart rate, and so to stand there and your heart rate's in the 50s, and all of a sudden you're going, it's like your body is in shock. And I had to just tell myself, do your thing. And that's what Steve said to me before, the night before the race. He said, just do what you do. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that because that's what I do. So I stood there with all these young kids and I lined up, they didn't have corrals for this. They didn't have pacers. And I lined up toward the front knowing, you know, these young kids are going to go out and run ridiculously (laughs) fast. And I was like, I know how to pace. I know how to run a negative race, a negative split race. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to let them go. And there were definitely a few times when I had to stop myself from trying to chase people down. Um, because that's what racers do. Right. <laughs> but but I followed my plan and I could hear. So I set up my watch so that I could hear the tones for my power, but I also could hear my split every minute. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was way on pace. I right. knew that it was going to be fine. And, and I was pretty sure I wasn't going to blow up. But in the back of my mind, I kept saying, oh, your last longer run was X days ago. Sure. Hmm, can you still do a long run? So, um, Yeah. So it was good. So my goal was win mm-hmm. and don't blow up at the beginning of the race. Cause that's disaster. Right. And then yeah. have a good 5k, um, yeah. last 5k crush it, um, come under the 155 mark and set a massive, massive PR. What was your sort of initial reaction? Cause like you mentioned, you were getting your splits and getting the feedback along the way. So yeah. it's not a surprise when you have, you know, a hundred meters left and you see the finish line banner and you know what time you're at and stuff. But when you cross the finish line, what was your line of thinking and what were you kind of reflecting on? Well, it was interesting because, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I'll say my watch was not calibrated correctly. So, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) so I was actually running faster than it was telling me. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting surprise. And I had never looked at my watch. I don't, there's no need to look. If you can hear it, you don't have to look. And so I didn't actually know what my elapsed time was until I got to the, the finished shoot. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was just so happy. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's interesting because there are, you know, race photos and there's a race photo of me that's not very flattering, but (laughs) I chose it to use because you can see the joy in my face, the feeling of pride and accomplishment and, Um, And it was interesting because I had thought through the finish scenario over and over and over again. And because I believe you have to imagine and visualize yourself as a winner before you can win. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just happen by chance. Winners Mm -hmm. are not 
lucky people. Winners know what they can do. And so I had imagined the finish of the race. I had imagined the last 5K of the race. And and I thought, am I going to cry? Am I going to, what's going to happen? <laughs> Nothing. I mean, I was kind of numb. I was like, okay, I did it. I looked at my watch. I'm like, I did it. Right. I pulled up my phone and looked at the results. I was like, oh, I won. And, <laughs> and I was happy. Yeah. Amazing. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm still happy. Don't get me wrong. So, and then I thought, well, I could retire right now. You just want to race. <laughs> Maybe it's time to, but the other part of me wants to know how much more. Right. So my kind of final question and last thing I wanted to talk about was what's next? You set this massive PR, had this big breakthrough, um, you know, working with a power-based running coach, you have more expectations and you said you learned a lot, but what is next for you? That's a really good question. Um, so before I realized I was going to feel hooked on running this winter. I had already registered for a bunch of really, really big gravel races all mm -hmm. over the United States for this summer. And now I'm kind of rethinking that. And then, and then I had also registered for like the Run Local series, which has, I don't know, five or six races. And mm -hmm. then there's the Mermaid series, which I like to support, which also has five or six races. But I had already decided before I had hired Steve that I would focus on short races, 5Ks mm -hmm. and 10Ks, and see how fast I could go. Mm. You know, I look at my Garmin and my Garmin tells me, now don't forget I'm a 56 year old woman. My Garmin tells me I can run a 5K in 23 minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> but I kind of believe it. And my mm -hmm. stride also tell, I think strides telling me 24 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think my fastest so far has been about 25. So mm -hmm. I'm like, how fast can I really go if I train to go fast for the short mm -hmm. distances? Mm -hmm. And my sense is that my sweet spot is going to be somewhere between, oh, a 5K and a 15K. Right. That those are going to be my, that's going to be my pace, my fast race. So so I'm going to work on that. Um, we've got a bunch of 10Ks on the calendar coming up. And I want to make sure that this leg is healthy before I start doing too much at this point. Um, of course, in the back of my mind, I, I know that I have what should be a BQ time for a marathon based on what Stride tells me, of course. Mm -hmm. And But then I say, do I really want to run a marathon? And if I race like... California International, which is, I have a deferred registration for it. I'm like, that's not going to be until 2024. And I'm going to be really old. And do I want to keep racing? But part of me says that I've built up the last five months of some pretty solid running and that it's going to take a couple more years to hit that, that plateau. And I want to see where I can go with it. So I've really backed off on my riding. I'm barely riding a bike at this point. Mm -hmm. And I want to see what I can do with running, even at 56 years old. I think it's pretty exciting. So um, I asked Steve the other day, we had a phone call and I said, how much faster do you think I can get? Where, where is my plateau? And he's like, yeah, you got another five to 8% in you. And again, the science, the number tells me that's pretty exciting. Right. And that's, I mean, a significant, significant margin. So it'll be a fun journey to, to track along and, and be able to see. Um, Lori, well, I and would, I think that, yeah. 
if I can say one more thing, I think that's a really important lesson for all athletes who are participating in endurance sports. Mm -hmm. You know, in cycling, we, we always tell folks, you've got three to five years before you hit a plateau that you are a beginner and to embrace being a beginner, Mm -hmm. that it's a really exciting journey because every time you go out, you improve, you can go longer or faster or climb more or feel more confident. You improve your skills, but it's a long process. We Mm -hmm. don't become athletes overnight and it's okay to be a novice. And I am embracing that. It's, you know, I've got the cardiovascular engine. That's great. And now I'm training the rest of it. And I, I am excited about this process. And I think too many runners think, oh, you know, I did a half marathon. I'm not a beginner anymore. Sure you are. You're a beginner for a long time. And most people aren't as consistent as they could be. You know, mm-hmm. they run and then they take a big break and mm-hmm. then they run and they never train with intention. They just go out and think distance. How long can I go? Mm-hmm. And so really challenging people with um, their potential, which is not an overnight success story, is important. I don't think people understand that. Mm-hmm. I think people think, oh, you're a genetic freak. And <laughs> You're able to do this because of that. But no, it's the consistency and the hard work and the the training with intention in the right way that makes mm-hmm. the difference. Absolutely. And that's one of the things, too, that I feel like, um, you know, I'm learning, looking at everybody in our, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Stride Facebook community, the people we see talk about their success on, uh, you know, social media that might tag Stride is that while you know, the success stories get highlighted as a race day. They're months and years in the making and and long training plans with, you know, races maybe getting canceled and then coming back to it a year later and just knocking, uh, you know, the goal out of the park and really, really hitting a home run with that. So the success story is really highlighting all of that hard work and then, you know, summarizing all of the, the effort and work that you put in over that time. And there's so much of, you know, that, that potential that, that can pay off. And for your example, crushing some, uh, 5k, 10k and 15k races over, uh, the next few months before we, we get a super solid BQ. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and giving us the time. Um, is there any sort of stuff that you'd like to plug for your own? You mentioned you have done coaching and you're in the bike world. Is there anything that uh, you want to give some listeners some more information about in case they're curious about uh, your area of expertise? Sure. I am based in Northern California in San Jose. So right south of San Francisco. Um, if you are a cyclist, especially a female cyclist, I run a women's club called Velo Girls, which is an awesome supportive community of women who ride and race bikes. And I also teach skills clinics. So I teach people how not to fall off their bike, basically. And I've been doing that for the last 20 years. And uh, I'm also a, a bike fitter. So I fit full time. And I would love to meet other people who ride bikes and run. Amazing. Lori, thank you again so much for coming on. We're, we're so excited to be able to share your success story. And we wish you the best of luck with your racing focus and your running with power focus as we start 2022 and get into that fun racing season.